Hi, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Numbers. This is the program where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. I'm Dave Bookbinder. I'm a senior director at CFGI, where I help my clients with their most important accounting and finance matters. Today, we're going to be going behind the numbers with Jordan Fisher, who's the managing partner at the XPAN Law Group. And we're going to be talking about cybersecurity and data privacy issues. Jordan, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's going to be a great conversation. Mm -hmm. I know you've got a lot of great stuff to share, but before we jump into that, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Um, so Jordan Fisher, a managing partner of XPAN Law Group, and we're a boutique international cybersecurity and data privacy law firm. Um, and we're also certified women-owned, which I'm very proud of. And I'm also a full-time faculty member at the Thomas R. Klein School of Law at Drexel University. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Perfect. And we're going to explore all that. We definitely will be talking about the... Uh, your journey of entrepreneurship, as mm -hmm. I like to call it, and women-owned business. We'll do that probably in the beginning of the second segment. But mm -hmm. let, let's start off at a high level to kind of lay the framework or chalk the field, as I like to say, in terms of the, the kinds of issues and threats that you are seeing today in, in cyber. Yeah, so it's a very interesting landscape right now. We have a lot of evolution from a legal perspective. I think almost every day I check Twitter because there's a new state that has pushed out a new law that's impacting businesses around the country on how they're using data, what they can collect, what they have to tell data subjects, et cetera. Um, so from a legal perspective, it's really interesting because it's just changing at this rapid pace. I feel like I can barely keep up. So I, I don't blame businesses for not being able to keep up either. Um, and then from a personal perspective, more and more companies are collecting data, using our data. Technologies are evolving at this rapid rate. And we don't even understand as consumers what's actually going on. And it feels like every time you turn on the TV, there's a new breach. And oh no, my social security number is out now out there five or six different times. And it feels like you can't even keep up. So I think right now in general, from a high level, it just feels like we're at this rapid expansion of technology that's driving a lot of anxieties and threats, both from you know, inadvertent disclosures all the way to malicious state actors that are trying to infiltrate your system. So it feels like Pandora's box. I think that's the best way to say it. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It, as a consumer, it certainly feels that way. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about some of those things. But when, when, like I said, I want to start at a high level to kind of mm -hmm. frame the whole dialogue. Um, regulation. Are, are there regulations that are currently in place or soon to be forthcoming mm -hmm. that are going to help maybe button these things down just a little bit? So looking at it from a domestic U.S. perspective, we do have some regulation. So the U.S. tends to be very industry-centered when it comes to regulation. So we have regulations in the financial sector. So when you every year get a notice from your bank that says, this is what we're doing with your information, and I'm sure you read that notice, um, that's because of a privacy regulation in the financial sector. We have it in the healthcare area, which a lot of people are most familiar with when it comes to HIPAA and the protections around that. We have it with children's data. So there's a reason why when your children go online, there are restrictions around what can be collected about the children. Um, and we have regulations in place for that. And then those are at the federal level. And then we get down to the state level. And that's where we see most of the movement currently from a regulatory standpoint. So California has pushed out a regulation that gives a lot of proactive protections to individuals. Things like, I can ask, what are you doing with my data? I can stop you from selling my data. I can stop you from using my data. I can require you to delete my data. These are things that are happening in California. We have other states that are also moving this along as well. Virginia just um, put out a proposed regulation that would be very similar to the California regulation. Washington state is looking at this. Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York has a regulation that goes into effect in March that has similar analogous sort of provisions, although not the same as California. So we do have, from a domestic standpoint, the states are actively looking for ways to provide individuals with protections around that data. But they're all taking different 
viewpoints on it. They're all doing little nuanced differences that, frankly, keeps my job very interesting. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. And hopefully we're going to get to share some um, interesting advice for the consumers. Because, mm -hmm. look, everybody, whether they're in business or whatnot, we're all consumers. Right. We all are mm -hmm. exposed. I just got a new credit card in the mail because apparently uh, it was exposed in one of the many data breaches that happened mm -hmm. at, at a convenience store. Right. Um, and but, you confirmed that that was an actual credit card that came from a legitimate place, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it, it did come in the mail, and yes, it went yeah. through the whole process. But that's a good point. We, we'll, we will talk about that. But when we talked in our prep call, we, we, we talked about the Equifax breach, mm -hmm. right? And so putting on my consumer hat, when you think about you know the, the, that kind of an organization mm -hmm. that gets hacked, as a consumer, my, my first reaction is, they're supposed to get it right. Yes. What, what can we do? I mean, if they can't get it right. I, and, and that's, so I would say Equifax was a wake-up call. And we saw, so in light of Equifax in the last two years, this is what started the state dialogues around data protection and cybersecurity and privacy. Many states changed their regulations in light of Equifax. And the reason it was a wake-up call is because, you know, everyone looks to Facebook and Google and these massive companies that are, that are collecting data and says, what are they doing with our data? But I have a choice to go on Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. I can choose to self-select out of being in that platform. But but Equifax, I didn't have a choice because if my employer decided to use that to do my background screening, they did that on their own volition. I didn't say, well, I'll use the, my, the credit reporting agency that I believe is more secure. And so it was, it was challenging because we as consumers had no choice that they had our data. And then on top of that, they didn't protect it. And they didn't protect it in some pretty low-level ways that we would have hoped they'd have more sophistication. And so I think that what we can take from Equifax is not, well, if they can't do it, how could I ever do it? It's that cybersecurity, a lot of it is simple. It is training your employees. It is being aware of what is going on. It's asking the questions. It is saying, what data do we have and what are we doing with it? That's the first question every business can, can go through. And that can be a very big question to actually answer, but it starts you down this path of knowledge. If they knew what they were doing with the data, if they knew that they weren't protecting it, they would be able to have avoided that breach. But unfortunately, they didn't ask those questions. And now we as businesses, we as consumers need to ask the questions. Yeah, good stuff. For folks who are watching and listening, if they want to learn more about you or how they can work with you, what's the best way to reach you, Jordan? So the best way to reach me is online, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and it's at www.expanlawgroup.com. That's our website where you can find out about our firm. You can contact me directly, either via phone or via email. Um, you can follow our blog. We put out a lot of information both for consumers and for businesses. Um, and we find it to be a very useful resource about what's going on, the changes you should be aware of. Um, and then there's obviously LinkedIn, um, Twitter. Those are also places where you can find me as well. But our website is the best spot. Yeah, it's a good looking site too, by the way. Thank you. If I do say so. Um, <laughs> Another women entrepreneur who developed that for us. So <laughs> Okay, good. Maybe you'll give them a shout out when, yeah. we, when we talk about that. Um, when we talk about business, and, and you were mentioning before we came on about M&A due diligence, that, that mm -hmm. you uh, get involved with. And that's an area that resonates with a lot of folks that listen to this show. What's your counsel for the folks that are going into M&A mode and, and where does this fit in and what can they be doing? Um, so the, the biggest thing is know what you're buying. And in today's world, I mean, I think the Star Wars Marriott breach is a great example of, and illuminates this. Are you buying a company that's been breached? 
Do you even know? Have you asked the questions? Are you buying a company that's compliant with current data protection obligations? So a great example of this is if you go to your, the European Union, you have the general data protection regulation that went into effect in 2016. Uh, or I'm sorry, 2018. It was on the books in 2016. It went into effect on, in 2018. And it has a lot of obligations for companies around data. Where did you get it? Did you give the appropriate consents? Are you informing the consumers? Are you able to comply with data subject rights, requests, a lot of these obligations. And they, are, they can be costly to um, implement across an entire organization. So if I'm going to buy a company and they may have EU GDPR exposure, are they already compliant? If they're not, I could be buying a liability. A liability in the sense of the data that they have, but also a liability in the way that they operate as a business. And what is it going to cost me to get that business compliant or what is it going to mean for my company to buy that company and bring GDPR-impacted data into my systems? Now I'm going to have to be compliant. So what does that really mean from an operational standpoint? And what's the true cost of a merger or acquisition? Because a lot of people are looking, they've got bells and whistles, or they have all this data, right? Because a lot of people buy companies for data. They yeah. want the data that they have. But if I buy bad data and data that's going to make me liable to the GDPR, I'm not really buying an asset. Yeah. I'm buying a liability. And a lot of companies don't even talk about this until one hour before they sign the deal. And guess what? You, you do not have enough time in that time period to really assess the cybersecurity and privacy risks associated with that company to really get a true picture. And it can affect evaluation because if you're not GDPR compliant and I have to make you GDPR compliant when I buy you, that's a cost to me that I'm going to have to take on. And that is your value goes down. But are you appropriately accounting for that before you sign that purchase price? And we see a lot of companies aren't. This is changing, right? It's starting to evolve as more and more companies are aware of the risks associated with data and with security. But if you're not asking those questions, you don't even know what you're bringing into your system. And that's very companies need to be very aware of that. Yeah, and one of the things that you alluded to there was the integration piece. Uh, mm -hmm. Once the data is on board and now you're integrated, if you've got bad things that just came mm -hmm. on board, you've now just poisoned the entire organization. Exactly. And the way the regulators are going to look at it is you... Not the company you bought, but you are liable for that because you've now brought that data into your system and you're now liable for everything that happens with that data. And you're also liable for letting the consumers know what happens with that data. So it can expose you to a lot of obligations that you may not want to take on. Yeah. Good point. That's a good spot to take a quick commercial break. So uh, we're going to pause here, pay a few bills, and we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers. with courage. Do not pity a shelter dog. Adopt one. Say we've got grit and we'll take it as a compliment because it's our uncommon drive, our spark within, that brings us together and sets us apart. We are temple made and when others take shortcuts, when others take breaks, when others take the easy way, we take charge. Add us on social media to watch bloopers, behind the scenes footage, previews, and more.
13 hours a day, six days a week. So when I'm off the clock, I gotta get stuff done. So when I need a snack, I need something healthy, tasty, and easy to eat. Like wonderful pistachios without the shells. They're protein powered, delicious, and great on the go. And that's perfect for me. Thanks, Liz. A woman without a lot of time. Whether you're a gourmet cook or just want to eat like one, visit Rostelli Market Fresh, your home for the freshest locally sourced ingredients to please everyone who loves great food. Our organic meats, quality seafood, and free-range poultry are cut fresh to order. Chefs create culinary-inspired prep foods made fresh every day, which pair nicely with our vast selection of fine wines and spirits. Choose from handmade pastas, artisan cheeses, organic produce, and grocery items, all from the finest purveyors. Rostelli Market Fresh, from our family to yours. RVN TV is a platform for people of any industry to share their story. Over 285,000 viewers are tuning in to RVN TV shows monthly. We guarantee a great experience that you'll be sharing with everyone you know while increasing your personal and company's brand awareness. But what is your brand? According to Forbes, it's a combination of your logo, your product, your design and feel, and your personality. Did you know that aside from being a guest, we offer even more opportunity to boost your brand? Adding your company logo and website on screen during your interview will allow viewers to recognize your brand instantly. Incorporating images and video clips is another great way to showcase your product during your live segment. Let viewers see how good you really are. And most importantly, there's you and your interview. For less than the cost of a newspaper, direct mail, or a magazine ad, you can leave our studio and within 48 hours have a permanent digital copy of your live segment to link to your social media, embed into your company website, or use in email marketing. Investing in your brand is so very important, and we can't wait to have you as a guest. Hey everyone, welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about data privacy and cybersecurity with Jordan Fisher, who's the managing partner of XPAN Law Group. Uh, covered a lot of good territory in the first segment. Mm -hmm. um, Jordan, I want to talk, start the second segment by talking about what I call your journey of entrepreneurship. You mentioned up front um, you started a women owned business. Share the audience, if you would, with the audience, if you would, please, about your journey and, and what inspired you to get into the background of cyber in particular. So I was really fortunate. Um, I After law school, I've always been interested in international law. I'd lived abroad. And so that was the component that I wanted to be part of my law career. And following law school, I clerked on the Court of Justice of the European Union, which is the highest court in the EU um, legal system. And while I was there, it was a great opportunity. I really enjoyed the experience in total. But I worked on a lot of data privacy cases. And this was in 2013. So this was pre-GDPR. Um, but while the conversation around GDPR was pretty hot and heavy, at the EU Parliament, across the entire European Union. Um, and so I was right there in the thick of it, working on legal cases and opinions around data privacy. And that was sort of my first foray into privacy and recognizing that in the European Union, this is a very established legal term. It's something that has strong legal protections and something that we didn't see in the United States side. So I came back to the United States. And when I was working as a litigator, commercial litigator, I was doing a lot of electronic discovery, which is a huge 
huge component of a lot of litigation in today's world, where you're searching through emails, files, um, trying to gather information to then use in a trial context. And when I was doing that, I was recognizing that a lot of my clients really had no concept of what their data was doing. Their information governance practices were if not even if it existed at all they were very rudimentary and they really were not receiving deep guidance from a legal perspective of what they should be doing and beyond the litigation space but just what should we be doing with our data? What should we be thinking about around data? And how can we use technology to address those concerns that we have, both from a best practices standpoint, but then also from a liability standpoint? And I sort of saw these worlds merging together, this privacy, the security, the technology, and really saw an opportunity to go out there and create a voice for the legal field in this discussion. Because the technology side, the consultants, they were starting to ramp up in this area, but I felt like lawyers weren't in that space. Part of it was because it was seen as a tech problem. And it really isn't a technology problem. But at the time, which is, is it's incredible to think what the changes in the last five years, but at the time, it was a tech problem. And now we see it more as a business problem and something that all business units are impacted by. And I just saw this opportunity. And I think I've always been very entrepreneurial. I'm fortunate. Uh, many people in my family have started businesses. My father owns his own law firm. So this was not you know, a foreign concept. And I met my business partner, who Rebecca Rakowski, who as, is a fantastic business partner, and she saw this opportunity as well. And we had worked some together at our prior law firm, um, and we just saw this, this space for us. We thought it'd be really fun and unique to go out there and create a law firm that was expressly focused on cybersecurity and data privacy. Um, and then I think at the same time. I wanted to create a different law firm that could engage with clients and work with clients in a new way. And so we wanted to be able to be creative with how they needed us to be able to work with them. We wanted to be able to have deep conversations with them without this fear of like running up an hourly bill or something like that. Um, and so we wanted to do law in a different way, but then we also wanted to approach cybersecurity and data privacy in a different way than the current sort of offerings that were out there for clients. That's a great story because we mm -hmm. do have a lot of folks uh, in the entrepreneurial circles that listen to this program, watch this program. Uh, always good to hear those kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. Very inspiring. Yeah. And I always tell all of my students, you should start your own business. You learn so much about yourself when you start your own business. And I have grown in ways that I never could have imagined had I remained sort of where I was. And I've met people, I've met you, I've met, I get to travel all over the world. And I get to do that because I went out there and said, I could do this, or I could at least try. Yeah. And I always tell people trying is going to open up doors that you never would have had before. That's so true. Mm -hmm. Well said. Can we talk a little bit about, uh, we'll shift gears maybe to mm -hmm. the, the world of the parents who are listening, mm -hmm. uh, or anybody who's got kids in their lives and, and kids are walking around with computers in their hands all day long, um, potentially at risk, right? It's a huge risk. And I think, you know, more so now than even before, these generations are growing up never having not had an iPhone or a smartphone or a smart device in their hand, right? They're getting, they're given iPads. They see their parents on phones all the time. And so it's, yeah. it's commonplace for them. So this fear, you know, when we, you know, I can remember not having a cell phone. And they they will have never never have that sort of exactly, memory at right. all. And they're they're being given these things and they're being told you can do all these amazing things. You can learn how to read on them, you can learn yeah. how to type on them, you can access 
information that just is incredible for people to have, right? This, this access to knowledge is incredible for this generation. But at the same time, we're not teaching them that there's corresponding risks. And so, you know, I think that one of the things that we as a society need to start thinking is that before we give a student a Chromebook or a laptop, you know, and, and they're getting them earlier and earlier, second, third grade, because the programs they're doing in school require them to have access to computers, we need to teach them that this is a very valuable tool that has some very negative, dark places, and you need to be thinking about cybersecurity and privacy when you go on there. And the more we teach them at a younger age, the better citizens they're going to be. Because if it in third grade, they're taught you have to authenticate who you are as an individual online before you engage online. When we ask them to authenticate themselves in the workforce, that's going to be commonplace for them. And so I think it's something that children have this access to this great technology, but we need to have that corresponding teaching around it so that they, they understand what they're getting involved in. So what can parents do to help educate their, their kids, whether it's a smart device or the laptops? You know, they're, they're, they're playing mm -hmm. games online, and, and so many times you get the opportunity to buy in-app additions, mm -hmm. more coins, more lives, what have you. Just a whole host of potential areas of, of, of risk. But what can parents do? So I think the first thing is having the conversation, right? So we always say, you teach your kids to look left and right before they cross the street. You need to teach them the same concept, but on an online device. So it's, there are websites you should not go to. There are, you should not buy things without asking permission. You should not download anything without asking permission and being cognizant of what you are downloading. By the way, you as adults should not download anything without being cognizant of what you are downloading, you know? Um, that you shouldn't talk to somebody if you don't know who they are. Do we talk to strangers when we're sitting in a park? Why would we then talk to a stranger on the computer and not know who they are? You know, it's the same concepts, it's the same conversations. It's just saying they apply online just as much as they apply inside the home. Do you open the door to let anybody into your house when your parents aren't home? Do you ask permission before you do that? Yes, we were going to ask permission when we're on the phone as well. And I think it's teaching those good hygiene practices. Um, and I think it's also teaching that while the phone is an amazing device, there are limitations, right? And we still want to have, we want to engage in the real world. We want to make sure that we're understanding that there are limitations to the use of the phone. And we shouldn't just be, our entire lives shouldn't be encapsulated in this very tiny device. <laughs> Does this concept or perception of anonymity impact the way there's online behavior being conducted? I think it does. And I think it sometimes allows people to incorrectly believe that they're anonymous in what they're saying or the way that they're interacting with people. And I think that most people don't understand that there is no real anonymity online because they can track pretty much everyone and what they're doing online. And this is the scary part of online today is that they can track and sometimes they're tracking to sell you something, but sometimes they might be tracking you for nefarious reasons that we don't even know. Right. Um, and there is no anonymity. Like you, you are the moment you get on your phone and the moment to the moment you get off you should assume that you are not anonymous. Because in today's world, there are technologies that allow us to track every movement you make on your phone. There are technologies that allow geo-tracking of where you are physically located. Um, even things like blockchain technologies that everyone believes are anonymous, they've demonstrated that there's the ability to track people mm. and determine who they are. Um, and so, I think there's this false belief that it's anonymous that then allows people to think that they can do things that maybe aren't 
things you'd want to talk about at your grandma's dinner table. Um, but that's really not the way the internet is set up. And, and that's going to be exposed more and more as we see more and more breaches. And the breaches are going to show how much data companies are collecting on us or just internet in general is collecting on us. And yeah. Uh, Jordan, for the folks watching and listening, how can they contact you if they want to learn more about you? So the best way to contact us is at www.expanlawgroup.com. That's our website. You can see our blog on there. You can follow um, everything that we're doing as a company. We really try to push out valuable information both to business owners as well as individuals. Um, you can contact me directly um, on my email or my phone number, which is on that website. I also encourage you to follow us on Twitter and on LinkedIn. We try to push out a lot of content out there as well. Um, because, you know, even though we are a privacy and cybersecurity law firm, we still use the internet to connect with people. So we, we, those are the best places to reach us. Great. We only have a couple minutes left in the program, but I wanted to touch on a couple of things if we could. New data breaches. Um, one of the magazines I subscribed to had an article about new data mm -hmm. breaches. I wonder if you may be able just to weigh in on some of these things, what they are and yeah. what, what we can do. Uh, probably won't get to all of them, but smishing. <laughs> Phishing using SMS text messages. Talk yes. about smishing. So if you've ever gotten a text message and you think, I don't know this number, and it's just an advertisement, this is a huge area that we're starting to see um, companies use to try to reach consumers. So I'm going to text you. I'm going to text you a link, and you're going to click on that link to get the good or the widget that I'm telling you that I'm sending you. But in fact, it's a link to download some, you know, ransomware or some other type of thing onto your device. And so we're seeing this more and more because. We, when we're on our phones, we tend to be click happy because we're not paying attention. We're getting out of the car, we're putting the kids in school, or we're brushing our teeth and we're just trying to see what text message came in and we get it in and we just click it because we're just not thinking. Yeah. And so it's an easy way to get onto your device, into your system, et cetera. So be mindful. If you're getting a text message and you don't know who it's from, don't click anything. That, that could be said for even emails. If you get right. an email and you don't know who it's from, do not click anything. Yeah. But this is a this is we're seeing this rise and and it can impact you if you have your personal data, but it can also, if you have a business phone and you click on it, they could potentially get into your business systems. So you'd be very aware of what you're clicking on on your mobile mm. device so that they don't by you, you don't accidentally allow them in. Yeah, let me jump to another one that I think may resonate with the audience: the mobile payment breaches. Mm-hmm. So I guess whether it's at an ATM that's a bogus one or at a gas station uh, or otherwise, mm -hmm. talk about that. So the mobile payment breaches are, so you can look at it a couple different ways, but one is you know, the very nice thing that you can scan your Apple Pay or your Google Pay and you can scan your phone, right? That's a very common way now. If you go to Starbucks, you can scan there and, and you don't even need to bring out your wallet. Right. The problem is though, the way that they're developed is not always secure and it depends on how they're scanning it, how that technology is used because it can be infiltrated. Um, and then there can be a breach because they could intercept your information as it's being transferred. And it's also hard, too, because you just don't know who's around you and who could be attempting to listen in to that transaction. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of potential exposures there for individuals as they are sort of scanning their, their payments. And payments in general tend to be an area that are heavily breached. Um, I mean, the Wawa breach that right. just happened, um, that for many of us sitting in the Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware region is very relevant, was the payment system. And it was using your payment cards and everything. And that's what was impacted. And so whenever you're dealing with money, 
be extra careful. If you're sending money, if you're receiving money, if you're paying with money, be extra careful because that is the, that's the honeypot for all of these, these people that are trying to get it. If they can get into your money, that's where they want to go. Sure. Right. So be very mindful around that. Yep. Mindful is a uh, is a recurring theme here. Yes. In everything that we do, and mm-hmm. that's great advice in general. Thirty seconds to go here. Hacktivism. What mm-hmm. is it? So hacktivism is where they will obtain information and then try to use it to get you to either pay them or um, to get you to do something. So it's it's finding out sensitive information about you. Um, like maybe you have a certain disease that you don't want your employer to know. They will find that out and then they will say, we'll tell your employer unless you give us $1,000 or $1,500 or $2,000, et cetera. Um, and it's basically using the money to try to get you to do or using the information to try to get you to do something for them. Hmm. It could be download all the patient names or we're going to tell your employer you have AIDS. Or, you know, it could be other sense of information. We saw you doing X, Y, or Z. We took pictures of it. Or we saw you doing it on your computer and we were able to to track it. And we now are going to say, you need to go and wire us this money from your business because you have the access to that at your business. So it's basically using data to force you to do something that they're going to find beneficial for them. And it can be very detrimental, both emotionally to you, if you you can imagine, you know, being held for ransom to do something. Um, But it can also expose how your sensitive data is just out there and they're able to gain access to it. I mean, medical data, all of this, unfortunately, we see more and more breaches in that space. And that can be some of the most sensitive data that we don't necessarily want the public to be able to know about it. Yeah. Jordan, unfortunately, we're out of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope you consider coming back on the program. There's so much more we can talk about. Yes, I would love to. It was great having you. Uh, today, my guest was Jordan Fisher, managing partner at XPan Law. And we've been talking about the scary world mm-hmm. of cybersecurity and, and data privacy. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and if you'd like to learn more about me, feel free to reach out after the program. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you enjoyed what you heard here today, please do hit the subscribe button so that you can stay abreast of all that's happening on Behind the Numbers. We will see you next time. Take care, everybody.